Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall, and we're here today to talk about some retirees' biggest money regrets and the top five big money purchases that kind of caused them. Uh, Elias, I'm sure that you've you've seen this before, and I don't think people set out to intentionally make a money mistake, but you know, based upon our past experience, these are the some of the top. Uh, you know, money regrets people have and big purchases, big purchase mistakes that that we've seen them make. You have any like really memorable moments for you where someone's made a big purchase and kind of regretted it? I know one thing I was watching on YouTube the other day, I saw a Dave Ramsey clip and the title was instant buy remorse. My house, my house payment is 50 percent of my income. How's that even possible? Well, because if you think about lending standards, the lending standards are all are based off of your gross income. So they say, hey, oh. your monthly gross income is $10,000, and they'll apply a debt-to-income ratio, and some of them are like 43%. So that means you could have up to a $4,300 house payment. So if you have a $4,300 house payment, or 43, you know, it, you just say roughly $4,300. Well, if you make 10 grand, you pay 20% in tax, you did 10% in your 401k, you're down to 7,000 left. It's more than 50% of your house payment, or I mean, 50, more yeah, than 50% right. of your income. So, you know, those are some of the things that people don't think about when they go to the bank, but I just saw it on face or uh, YouTube. I'm not sure if you've had any situations like that where people are like, man, this is just a gigantic mistake. Uh, in general, there's, I think a lot, I mean, in general, a lot of people probably buy too much home for what their income actually is. As people transition into retirement, sometimes people, they, uh, they'll want to just take, like they'll take a big lump sum out of their portfolio to pay off a house or something or to buy another house. And sometimes that's detrimental to how much money they have um, and, and makes, a, uh, makes their money less sustainable over time. And I guess in addition to that, probably the toys, right? Like everyone has toys and stuff they like to do. And there's a lot of boats that are financed. There's a lot of RVs that are financed. The new thing that's really popular is solar panels. There's a lot of older, and I, I'm not being dis, I'm not being negative towards uh, like the solar companies, but they're pretty good. Like I've talked with them on the phone. They're good. They have a lot of salesmanship. They're very good at it. Um, Seventy-year-old person, are they ever really going to realize the benefits of solar? And there's a lot of hidden cost with it, and just maintenance and things that that people don't really um, factor in. So I think. I think between those things, those are the pretty common things you see, house, a toy, and now what's creeping in is people think they have free energy even though they have to pay $70,000 to get uh, solar panels screwed into the top of their roof or however they install them. So. I think we just changed the title from the top five big money purchases to the top six. You need to ask yourself, what's the true break even of a solar panel? Why do I need a solar panel? The cost versus not having an electric bill you'll never make up for it. Not I mean, at that age. And it's not like, it's not like, uh, electric electricity is not that expensive. I understand if you were like 40 and you built the last house you're ever going to be at, 
right? You say, hey, I'm building my forever house. I plan on being here. Like if you and you, you and Maddie went to build a new house and you're like, you know, we're going to be here for 30 years. Okay. Yeah. Let's put some solar panels in. You know, right? We're good for the environment. It's going to offset our cost over time. It's going to take care of itself. But for somebody late, late in their, you know, lifetime, it becomes a challenge to actually figure out how, how this pays off. And, you know, I, I kind of have an opinion that, you know, those people are fairly easy to convince to do things. You put a good salesperson in front of somebody over age 70 and they're a little bit easier to convince. Yeah. People can take that how they want. Uh, I had a guy, but, I had a guy cold call me about solar panels and I almost thought we should offer him a job. I mean, he was great on the telephone. Yeah, we probably should. So yeah, I think that's one that I, I really see, but the other kind of big thing that I, I see happen in retirement is people, the first, you know, five to 10 years underestimate what they're going to spend. And, you know, we like to break this out into three phases of retirement, which is the go-go phase, the slow-go phase, and the no-go phase. And the go-go phase is where, hey, we just retired. We've got like this next five to 10 years where we've still got a lot of energy. There's a lot of things we want to accomplish, uh, you know, before, before our time's up. And people typically spend more money in this phase. If you think about it, if you've been going to work every day, working 40 hours a week, there's a few things you haven't had a lot of time to do. One, you haven't had a lot of time to socialize with people. So all of a sudden you might start doing coffee with a friend, happy hour with another friend. You might go out to eat an extra night a week. That's the first thing. Those costs add up. The second thing, you haven't been able to travel a lot. So we start to travel a little bit more. And then, uh, uh, the third thing is you have a lot more free time. So I feel like in today's society, people end up spending more money shopping. And the reason I say this is shopping has changed. It used to be to go shopping. You had to break out the Sears catalog, call an 800 number, or you had to physically go to the store. Today, people that are on social media, they're shopping all day and they don't know it. If you go to your Facebook feed or you go to your social media, it's just advertisement after advertisement after advertisement. You don't even know you're shopping because it's actually all the products that you want to see. So I equate it to myself. You know, it's like, yeah, I like fishing. Well, if you look through my scroll, it's all every fourth ad, something about fishing. I don't feel like I'm being advertised to. And guess what? Occasionally I'll click it or I'll go to Cabela's, but I need to have that. And I don't really need it. So those are some of the things that I think, you know, cause retirees to get into a little bit of um, a jam. But one of the one of the biggest regrets that we've heard from our clients um, and we've seen is that, you know, they want to have the dream home. Like, hey, I want to have that dream home, you know, to reward me in retirement. We've always wanted this house. Let's go get it. And they think that the initial expense is the house. And I've seen this with at least two different people I work with where they're right when they retire, they go build a big, shiny new house. But then guess what comes next? Solar panels and sheds and lawn equipment and the expenses just keep adding up and adding up and adding up. And they never anticipated what it was going to cost. The other thing people underestimate are the taxes. You know, if you go build the dream house, your taxes could go twice as much as you've been paying. So once again, a reason I think I see people, you know, overspend and have a regret in retirement. They say, hey, we love this house, but man, we never knew 
it was going to be this much of a financial burden. Uh, the second thing here I see a lot is lavish travel. We, we kind of mentioned you have all this extra time. People think they have to go travel. And I know we do a really good job, Elias, when we put together the financial plans of asking somebody, how much do you plan on spending on travel? I had someone in yesterday. They literally brought in their Quicken and said, well, this is what we spent last year on all of our bills. And they had separated out the travel. So when we built their financial plan, we weren't really guessing. We actually increased their travel budget about 20%. So they had X amount for their everyday expenses, eating out and all that stuff. But then we actually planned out another $20,000 a year for 10 years because we had the discussion. You're in the go-go, like realistically at age, you know, at age 77, do you think you're spending $20,000 a year on travel? And the answer was no. So we do a good job kind of building that out. Uh, That's a thorough exercise too, because it's sometimes you'll get asked, we'll get asked a question. Well, you know, we're not, uh, we don't have a crystal ball and we're not mind readers, but like when people do stuff like that, where they brought their quick in, had the travel separated out. Okay. Now we can really answer this question. Right. But it takes a little bit of legwork too. It'd be great if we could do just do everything, figure out, you know, their entire budget. It'd be a lot easier sometimes, but that's, uh, that's uh, to me, that's very thorough and that's a good, I guess if people are listening, that's something to keep in mind. If you're working with someone, the more information you can give them, the better the outcome's going to be and the better the planning's going to be for you. Well, and if they didn't give us that information, I, you know, if you think about it, when, when we're setting a plan up for someone, you had a good point. Like, the plan's only accurate to what information you gave us. So if you tell yeah. us you're going to spend 8000 a month, but you spend ten, that changes things. And so we'd rather plan on you spending it. Everybody would be much better off if you planned on spending 20 you only spent 12 Yeah, that, that took, Plan yeah, for the worst, out. prepare for the best. Yeah. You know, all those different things. The, the other big, um, <laughs> this is a really good one, but kind of regret we hear from people is that they either bought an RV. It's really popular to go buy an RV in retirement or a boat or a new car or something that they've it's just a toy in general. We could lump this as, but RVs and campers are really popular and we see it typically right at retirement. We don't usually see people in their seventies going and doing this for the first time, but we see a lot of people who go buy a big RV and they spend a bunch of money and they're like, man, we thought that was going to be great. And then they realize it's a lot of work to drive the RV across the country and park it and gas it and clean it up. And then they go to sell this thing. And now they're looking at taking a twenty or $30,000 loss because these are depreciating assets. I know the last two to three years that maybe hasn't been the case. But over time, these are depreciating assets. You know, post-COVID was a little bit of an anomaly where you could buy like a used vehicle or a used toy and sell it for more later. Just remember how things have worked the last 50 years. And that's not the way those assets have worked. Uh, so that's actually seen as a pretty big regret what, we've heard from people. What about living in an RV? Uh, so I have I have at least one client who did that. Uh, she did it for like two years. She enjoyed it. She, she didn't do an RV, though. She did like a um, uh, fifth wheel where she had a big diesel truck and she pulled it around. 
she did it for about two years and then she decided she just needed to have one place. I mean, she sold everything, her house, her farm, everything, and just went on the road for two years. And she enjoyed it, but the, the comment was, you know, you have to move parks like every 30 days. They don't, a lot of these parks don't let you stay for longer than 30 days. So then she'd find herself like constantly moving. And now she's found like a house somewhere where she lives. She still has her camper, but it's not like she's literally just living out of it full time. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I never thought about that. If you had to move every thirty days, I mean, I guess in an RV, you got to. It's still, it's probably not like moving from a house to a house, but you still got to pack it up and then go move. Know where you're gonna go. Why? Well, my parents have one of these things. It is they're cleaning it all the time. It, just think about where you're at. You pull up to a, you pull up to a campground, which most of the campsites are gravel. So you're going in and out of your camper. So guess what's coming in and out? Yeah, Gravel, dirt, the bugs, the dirt, the food, all the stuff. Like it's a lot of work that people have massively underestimated. Now, if you love it, I, I have. I mean, I enjoy camping. It's fun. But I, what I don't enjoy is the mess. Like some people, my mom, she loves it. They love doing it. But they like to clean and keep things neat and tidy. You know, I, my my attention span's not good enough to come home and spend three hours cleaning a camper. That doesn't sound fun. And then one of the the last big regrets people have had, they bought vacation homes or a resort or a second home. And it's funny that, that we have this in the outline because I literally had a customer here a couple of weeks ago and they bought a vacation home. And they thought it was going to be just the greatest thing. And th they had a good time with their family, but they ended up selling it right before they're going into retirement. And now they've been without it now for like two months. And you know what their comment to me was? We hate to say it, but we don't miss it. You don't. Why would you hate to say you don't miss it? They, they said that they, they, you know, they, they, they said, I hate to say it, but I don't miss it. Meaning they, they thought they were going to miss this thing and they thought it was a big part of their life. But in reality, it's kind of like this burdens off their shoulders of having to take care of this. And they don't feel forced to have to go down there and forced to use it and all the different things that come with having a second residence. Huh. You know, when you have so, okay, one. Okay, so probably going into it, they didn't think, right. You want You think, oh, I'm going to go buy this lake house. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. I've done right? it. Right. You never think, man, it might be. You don't think about all the stuff that comes with it, right? It's just like anything else. Here's what people don't think about. The power washing, the pest control, the unexpected, you know, water leak you have, or there's a storm that happens. Now you're five hours away. You have to go check on your property. Like nobody thinks about that. When they pull up to the lake house, guess what they're doing? Look at the lake. It's awesome. Look at that awesome dock. Everything's great. And then you start showing up and it's eight hours of work every time you come. So I think those are some of the regrets that we've heard from people that uh, have made bigger purchases and thought that this is how they were going to enjoy their life. And maybe it wasn't quite as enjoyable as it turned out to be. And, and I think, you know, one of the reasons people regret some of those large purchases and you already hit on this, they didn't really plan for that purchase. It wasn't like, we were intentional 10 years before we retired and hey, we're going to do a bunch of research. We're going to research our lake house or we're going to research ERV. Those purchases, Elias, tend to be, you know, like quick purchases. Even oh, like, yeah, yeah, we should get an RV. Great. You go to the RV shop. We're going to get it. I'll give you a great example. 
this happened in Meg and I, this is probably like 2003 or four. Um, I've always grown up the boat and Meg and I, when we got married, we sold the boat, bought a house. Well, we were in the house for like a year or two and it was right before Memorial day weekend. So like it was, we went and looked at this boat, like the first part of May and we're like, Oh yeah, maybe let's just say Memorial days on May 25th on May 27th. Meg's like, I think we should buy that boat because she wanted to use it for Memorial day. But a lot of those purchases, that's how those go down, you know, 30 or 60 days prior. Well, maybe three days before you get to use it. You, you want to have, yeah, well, you want to have the boat. So we ended up buying a boat. So I think a lot of it is just a lack of planning makes those become regrets because maybe they spent too much money. Maybe they, they didn't, they underestimated what it was really going to be like. And that really leads into our next topic, which, you know, these larger purchases, they need to be planned for. But, um, I think this is something that's very relevant that, the wealthy are more likely to overestimate their retirement savings. And I, I think what that, what we mean there is how much money your money can create, right? Like there's limitations on how much money you can generate from the money you have. So, it, and you can probably make an argument that higher income earners, it's probably much more important that you save the right amount of money or that your contribution rates are, are appropriate. And, and what I mean by that is to have a similar, if you're a high income earner to maintain that lifestyle, you need significantly more money than someone like a, a middle-class family that pays off all their debt and they save 10 to 15% of their income in a 401k for their entire career. And, and the reason is, in retirement, and a lot of the money has uh, not been taxed yet, so it's pre-taxed. Well, if you're going to take out large portions annually, um, you have a large hurdle in the form of taxes, right? Because the further you go up in the tax brackets, the more you, you can almost look at that as guaranteed loss against your portfolio. Take the money out, you got to pay the taxes. So it, it gets very challenging to generate certain amounts of income and and I think sometimes there is, there's a little bit of a disconnect between like I, some people that if they have like a million dollars, oh, I got a million dollars saved. Well, if you're used to making $500,000 a year, so you're probably spending, I don't know, 15, $20,000 every month and you have only a million and I don't mean it only like it's not a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but like only a million or $2 million, it's going to be very hard. I mean, you might feel like, Oh, I've done a great job. I got a million in my 401k, but that million's not going to be able to replace your income. If you have like a really great pension and you're going to have a high social security benefit, but even with those, it's still going to be challenging. So I think just understanding that some of those headwinds against your retirement or some of those obstacles and knowing that you're going to have to sock away. If you're going to spend a lot in retirement, you have to sock away a lot in retire, uh, a lot while you're working. Well, for high income earners, and I'm not trying to cut in on this with you, but they do have a lot more headwinds than somebody making $200,000. And, and here's why. If let's just say you, you use Dave Ramsey's formula and you're making, you know, a million dollars, you're a surgeon. I don't know, even 500 and you're putting away 15%. Where, where are you putting the 15%? 
401k most likely. Well, you can't get 15% of 500 into a 401k. Yeah, you're going to max it. Yeah. So here's what happens. These, These individuals, and it's no... Nothing against them. They think, hey, I'm maxing my 401k. I'm doing all the right stuff. For high income earners, they're going to have to save outside of the 401k. Yeah. You know, we, I just did a play with a person who's making 900 plus thousand. Well, it's max out all their retirement plans plus another 150 a year to get to where they want to go. And they can do it. But had they not had the guidance, they're probably just maxing out their retirement plans and thinking, hey, this is exactly what I need to do. I'm on the right track. And for all intents and purposes, they're doing everything correctly. It's just not going to support their lifestyle, how they want to live when they're 65 years old. Yeah, and that and that's really, I mean, it's that's what the misunderstanding is, is, well, I'm maxing my 401k, I'm maxing this, right? So you're doing the things that are available. And I don't think people, obviously, people don't think about it the way we do, where in the future, this has to be income. And yeah, you're going to have to, I mean, you have to, like all the basic things always have to be done. You got to be, you know, good, reasonable with your debt and hopefully debt free as you retire. But to support a larger lifestyle, um, yeah, you're just, you're just gonna have to save a non-retirement accounts too. And there's no, sometimes when you talk with Sometimes you talk with people about that because there's no tax incentive today and you got to pay capital gains. And it's like, oh, what about the taxes? Like, well, you're making money. You have to pay taxes when you make money, right? And you need it. You need to save somewhere anyway. So I think that's um, one area people get confused. It's the difference between like it's easy when you're making a lot of money to live that lifestyle because you have it. But you also got to build your wealth over time so you can continue Um living that lifestyle and it's hard and and we know that's what the hardest thing to do is take a step backwards in lifestyle no one wants to do that elias while we're talking about building wealth i just want to shift the focus real quick to one of the things that i think uh is kind of the first big roadblock in people building wealth setting themselves up for financial freedom and that's living paycheck to paycheck and i know you know we've talked about it before and you see it a lot uh, what are some of the issues that you see with living paycheck to paycheck? And how do you like get somebody out of that mold of doing this? Because it's hard to do. Once you're there, it's hard to get out of. It is. And so the a study as of January 2023 found 60% of, you, of uh, adults in America that are high income consumers are living paycheck to paycheck and it's difficult and i think at some point almost everyone's at that stage i know like for me when i first started working uh it's hard to not live paycheck to paycheck you first graduate but you're getting things going right okay i got a job i gotta start doing my 401k i need to build up my emergency fund sometimes you have to buy a car right like you might need a vehicle um for a job so Okay, so how to break the cycle. So the first, and this is, in my opinion, the most important thing, getting out of debt. You know, if you have credit cards, you got to get the credit cards paid off, student loans, you got to get those paid off. Um, But getting out of debt and then staying out of debt, out of debt is, it's huge. And it's really just kind of a factor of cash flow. The less payments you have, 
the more money you have to either direct towards savings or direct towards things that you, that you need to buy. And the, the next one, so stop overpaying. And this is, I mean, overpaying has always been, it's always been going on. But I think in today's economy with all the convenience services of, um, what it makes me think of is, you know, like the food delivery, the subscription services where you get a box and it has all the ingredients and then the, the recipe on how to cook a meal, which I, we did one, we did one for like three months just to try something new for a little bit. I absolutely loved it. I thought this is the greatest thing ever because you get exactly what you need. The instructions are there. And then, you know, like for me, I don't like going to buy one off spices and seasonings because you use a little bit and then it sits in the cupboard for 12 years and no one ever uses it again. So I really, really liked it, but you're paying so much for the convenience. It's so expensive compared to doing your groceries. We did the same thing. And what I realized is I literally could just go to those websites and they give me the recipe card. And (laughs) there's a grocery store in town where you actually, and I don't know if you knew this, you can actually go buy just small amounts of spices. So if you're getting like oh, really? the weird one-off spice, you just go get like two tablespoons and you just pay by the weight. So you don't have to buy this $11, you know, jar of marjoram you're going to use one right. time and you're going to throw and it away. It, and then it ends up in the back corner of your yeah. cupboard until you, it's like solidified and rock. So we something. used to do that. One of the things we did is there are some recipes we really liked and, you know, they measure everything out. Well, we just started figuring out, okay, if we find, if we're making for two, we need to find two recipes that have similar ingredients. We can do it ourselves. Takes the same amount of time. We have the recipe yeah. card. And I'm with you, but it's super convenient. And, you know, yeah. The subscriptions is one of the things. One of the things when you talked about this, and I'm going to let you keep elaborating, There's two types of living paycheck to paycheck, Elias. There's paycheck to paycheck because you have to. And there's paycheck to paycheck because you're living on a zero-based budget. So if I look at how I live, I live paycheck to paycheck on a zero-based budget, meaning the last day of the month, I'm planning on my account being nearly zero. And whatever's left, I put into savings. And then I get my next paycheck. And that paycheck's planned for the next two weeks. And then at the end of the two weeks, it should be close to zero and the rest goes in savings. And that's how I do it. So technically I'm paycheck to paycheck. I wouldn't have to be, but that's how I plan my budget because why would I not have intention to where my money's going? Right. That That's the difference. There's, uh, you're being intentional with what's going on. And, it, and here's what's interesting about it. Internally, it makes me a little fearful because as the week, the end of the second week goes by, you're running low on money. And know what it subconsciously well, that's, does? Yeah, that's all. That's psychological. Psychologically, really like, man, I better, better watch. I've only got X amount of dollars left in the bank account. So sometimes you'll avoid the big purchase. Now, that said, I've got all the savings and everything else. But if you think about how Dave Ramsey tells people to do budgets, it's all zero-based budget. You should be intentional with all of your dollars every month, not... You know, if you have 14,000 left at the end of the month, why? Could have gotten invested to go and done something else. It's got to go somewhere. Right. right? Yeah. And here's another one. And this is something. So, I mean, you're the paycheck. 
the zero base budget paycheck to paycheck that's being intentional with your money but one thing i've noticed and found over the years so people that are struggling like the traditional paycheck to paycheck where they're just running out of money before they get another one and not being intentional avoiding late fees and whether it's late fees on bills or then the other one is bank overdraft fees i mean i've seen some bank statements where how i mean if you're already struggling with money and then you're getting overdraft fee of $35 every time you swipe your debit card or something and the money's not there i mean that's just it, that that's like going from bad to worse and that can really really add up quickly and finally if you have the time and you can do it um one of the best ways to get out of that paycheck to paycheck is to make extra money and I think part-time jobs are probably more accessible now than ever with the gig economy because you can use your own vehicle to drive Uber or Lyft or deliver groceries. Um, almost every business around has some sort of part-time um, part-time positions they're looking to fill. And, and I think sometimes when you're young, um, and I kind of felt this way when I was young and just getting started sometimes. Sometimes it's like the only way you can get ahead. It might just be the reality of your situation that you got to have your full-time job and then figure out a way to make extra money so then you can get yourself into a better a better position. Uh, Elias, yeah, I think those are all really good ways to think about how to stop living paycheck to paycheck. And once again, determine are you living paycheck to paycheck or are you living a zero-based budget? You know, And if you're not doing a zero-based budget, you should. There's really no reason to not be intentional with where your money's going. I want to thank everybody for tuning into this week's episode. If you're looking for any help, you can visit us at btwellshow.com. For more content, you can follow us on Facebook at btwellshow. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.